The first reading is taken from Revelations, chapter 2, 8 to 17. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the church, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, <clears throat> These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things about you. There are some among you who who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also of those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it known only to the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's just bow our heads for a prayer before I begin. Loving Heavenly Father, 
I pray you would come by your spirit, that you would speak to us, that we would have open hearts and minds to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder how you'd feel if I told you that next Sunday the National Crime Agency are going to come along to St. Matthew's, infiltrate the congregation, of course completely undetected, and your name may go on a blacklist, you might be arrested, you might be put in prison, you might be beaten, or even worse. I wonder what that would do for church attendance next Sunday. Maybe you'd come along, would you come along, and bring your friends or your family? It's a tough one, isn't it? And yet, that is exactly what Jesus is saying to the church in Smyrna in this letter to Revelation. We're doing a series looking at the letters to the churches in Revelation. And he tells them that they will need to be faithful even to the point of death. And that seems like a mile away from our experience here in the UK. And yet, during this service, during the hour and a quarter of this service, approximately 12 Christians will be killed, murdered, for no other reason than they believe in Jesus Christ in our world today. That's going on. So what are we to do in response to the fact that 100,000 Christians every year are killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ? And what might it mean for us to lay down our lives for Jesus today? These are hard questions. The good news is that in the letters to the churches in Revelation, Jesus announces himself as the one who has the answers. So let's look at the text and see what he says. Um, It's on page 1234 in the church Bibles, or you can follow in your service sheets. And I'm looking at, starting at verse 9 of chapter 2. The church in Smyrna is suffering persecution. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. Now, the church in Smyrna would have been made up of of some Jews and some Gentiles, some non-Jews. But it seems that they were being attacked, as it were, by a group of Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And he has some very strong words for them. He calls them, at the end of verse 9, a synagogue of Satan. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Now, the word Satan means the accuser. And so, in effect, he's saying that this other group of Jews were accusing the Christians, falsely accusing them, slandering them, in order that they would get persecuted, and perhaps the fledgling church might be snuffed out. And he goes on to say that they will, some of you will be put in prison, suffer persecution, and you will need to be faithful even to the point of death. How does that play out for us today? Well, perhaps in two ways. And the first way it plays out, which I've already alluded to, is that this kind of persecution really goes on every day today in our world, even though it may not be our day-to-day experience. I came across an article in The Spectator 
that uh, somebody emailed. Um, it's it's from, from a week ago. And I think it was sparked by the attacks on churches in Pakistan recently, where 85 Christians were killed by two suicide bombers who ran into the church in Peshawar. But it quotes the International Society of Human Rights, which is a secular body, which says that 80% of all acts of religious persecution and discrimination happens against Christians. Between 2006 and 2010, Christians face some form of persecution or discrimination in a staggering total of 139 countries, which is almost three quarters of all the countries in the world. And an average of 100,000 Christians have been killed each year for the last 10 years because of their faith. In effect, it says, the world is witnessing the rise of an entire new generation of Christian martyrs. India's northeastern state of Orissa was the scene of the most violent anti-Christian pogroms in the 21st century. In 2008, riots resulted in 500 Christians being killed, and it wasn't the Christians who were rioting. People were hacked to death by machete-wielding Hindus. A Catholic nun, Sister Mina Bawa, was raped during the mayhem, was marched naked down the street and beaten. The police weren't interested. They declined to arrest her attackers. In Burma, the authorities consider Christians dissidents and routinely subject them to imprisonment, torture, forced labour and murder. In Nigeria, the Boko Haram is responsible for about 3,000 killings of Christians in recent years. North Korea is considered the most dangerous country on earth to be a Christian, where Approximately 100,000 are believed to be in forced labour camps because they won't submit to the cult of the founder Kim Il-sung. And about 300,000, since the division of North and South Korea, about 300,000 Christian Koreans have disappeared, believed dead. It's staggering. And the article asks the question, why is it that this global persecution is largely ignored by the Western press? Why is that? We don't particularly hear this, do we? And one of the reasons it gives is that most of the victims are non-white and poor. Isn't that a terrible, isn't that a terrible statement about our, our Western press? Pope Francis recognised this recently. He said, when I hear so many Christians in the world are suffering, am I indifferent? Or is it as if a brother or sister, a member of my own family, is suffering. And so one of the things that we need to... One of the ways this plays out is that we need to realise that this is real. It's happening to, it happened 2,000 years ago, and it's real. It's happening today. And the other way it plays out in countries like ours, where there isn't that kind of physical persecution, is the way that secular authorities try to squeeze Christianity out of the public sphere. Bishop Tom Wright was on a radio show um, not that long ago where he was one of four panellists and it was a phone-in programme, you know, where people phone in and ask questions of the panel. And somebody phoned in and said, if you could choose your faith, which one would you choose and why? And the presenter threw the question first at Bishop Tom Wright. I think he was the only faith representative on the panel. 
And Bishop Tom Wright began to explain why he believed in the truth of Christianity and all the wonderful blessings and benefits of God's love. But he didn't get more than two sentences out before the presenter stopped him and said, Oh, no, Bishop Tom, you can't say things like that on air. That's proselytizing. It's incredible, isn't it? This is a Church of England bishop in a country whose state faith, if you like, is Christianity. And the BBC presenter is telling the bishop he can't recommend Christianity over the air. Now, it was interesting that the other three panellists actually came to his defence and said, no, nonsense, of course he can say that. Yeah, you know, the, the, the person asked the question, he was just answering it. And so the presenter was made to look a bit stupid. But, but it's amazing in our country that that's where we are, isn't it? And how are we to respond to both the physical persecution and, and those kinds of things? Well, are we to fight back? Are we to get angry? Are we to to say rude things about those people? Are we to drop bombs on countries that persecute Christians? Are we to go out with armies and fight them? Are we to just run away because we don't want anything to do with it? Well, actually, Jesus doesn't give us any of those options. He has two words to say in this first letter to the church, um, in this letter to the church in Smyrna, in verse 10. He says, be faithful. Be faithful. He says even to the point of death. But those are the, he says, be faithful. What does be faithful look like? Well, I th- we have to go to the teachings of Jesus to find out what it means to be faithful when we face either persecution or difficult circumstances or anything like that. And the best examples of Jesus' teaching are in his discourse with, that was known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, Jesus says, love your enemies. Don't hate them. Don't fight them. He says, love your enemies. He says, pray for those who persecute you. It's really tough stuff, isn't it? He goes on to say, describe the position of those who are persecuted. In the Beatitudes, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says that if you do suffer persecution and remain faithful... God has amazing blessings for you. The kingdom of heaven is yours. And he goes on to say, blessed are those, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for great is your reward in heaven. Again, he says, if you face persecution, God is going to bless you richly if you remain faithful. His words are, be faithful. And, you know, that Jesus always meets us at our point of need. In each of these letters in, in Revelation, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but they work like a good news, bad news, good news sandwich. Each letter begins with good news, talks about the, the bad news, and then finishes with more good news. And in the first part of the letter, Jesus reveals himself in the way that that church particularly needs his revelation. So to the church in Smyrna, he says in verse 8, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Died and came to life again. Resurrection. What do people need who are facing possible death for their faith? They need to know there's resurrection, don't they? And to the church in Pergamum, he says, These are the words of 
him who has the sharp double-edged sword. What was the, the problem of the church in Pergamon? They were facing false teaching. And Jesus says that he is the one who has the sharp double-edged sword. That means the, that means the word of God, the truth. I don't know if you remember, we were recently looking at the armour of God. The last part of the armour is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So this isn't a real physical sword. He's not talking about that kind of thing. It's the Word of God, the truth. That's what you need when you're facing false teaching. And Jesus always reveals himself in the way that we need. Last Sunday night, Paul Fulton preached on Jesus, the light of the world. He's the light of the world to people who are in spiritual blindness. And he's the bread of heaven for the the spiritually hungry. And he's the the living water for those who are spiritually thirsty. And he's the door for those who are spiritually homeless. And he's the good shepherd to the spiritually lost. And he's the way for those who need direction. He's the truth for those who, who are facing confusion. He's the life for those who are in despair. And he's the resurrection for the church In Smyrna, and he's the the double-edged sword for the church in Pergamon. Jesus always meets us at our point of need. He's the answer to every anxiety, every worry, every concern, every suffering moment. So he says, be faithful. Be faithful. How can we be faithful? Well, one of the ways we can be faithful when we think of our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church and so on is to pray for them. We can pray for them. We can support charities that support persecuted Christians like Open Doors and I think the Barnabas Fund and and, and things like that. But he also calls us, he also calls us to pray for the persecutors. And that's so hard, but here's a thought. Paul the Apostle was a persecutor before he became an apostle. And so there's hope for everyone. There's hope for everyone. Why should we be faithful? Because he was faithful. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus faced the greatest temptation of his life. He could have walked away. Knowing that he was going to be arrested, tortured, beaten, and crucified, he could have just walked away. He could have said, I cannot face that. I will not do that. And he could have walked away. And that would have left us dead in our sins. No forgiveness, no grace, no mercy. But he faced his suffering. He was faithful. He went to the cross in order that we could be forgiven and set free. And because he is faithful, so we can be faithful too. Jesus meets us at our point of need. What we need to take away is that if we remain faithful, then whatever we face, whatever difficulties, whoever comes against us, whatever problems hit us in life, if we remain faithful, we have nothing to fear. Amen.